believe it's Ecclesiastes that talks about having eternity in, in the heart of man. And uh, the fact is that we were created for something greater than we have here on this earth. And we long for that. And you see this longing in all kinds of ways, you know, from the song in The Wizard of Oz, somewhere over the rainbow, there's a place. Uh, this, the uh, musical um, uh, West Side Story, there's a place for us, somewhere a place for us, where, you know, all these problems, all these conflicts, all this distress isn't there. And, um, and you know, people try to turn their lives into that place. They try to make this the place. They think if they acquire enough money, if they, if they get the right relationship, if they get the right job, they'll arrange things so that they can enjoy that life here. And yet, it's impossible and they don't ever find it. And the ones who have done everything they can because they have so much money to try are the most disappointed of all because there's nothing else to do and they know it's not here but for the Christian we know that this is because this is not our home and in this life we're called to wait it's coming but we're called to wait this morning We're going to be looking at Isaiah 40. We've been in this uh, chapter of Isaiah 40 for for five weeks, the fifth week now. Um, 2 Peter 3, 2 tells us that we should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And that's what we're doing. We're going back and looking at Isaiah 40. The whole chapter is a a uh, prophecy about the coming of Christ. It begins in the first 11 verses talking about how the Lord will come and God's promise, unshakable promise that he will come. And then in the middle section from 12 to 26, Isaiah talks about the greatness of the one who has been promised to come. And now in the final section, which we're looking at today, he talks about the long task of waiting for the one who has been promised for him to come. So let me read this last section, Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now all through the Old Testament, God has given his people, through the prophets primarily, stupendous promises of his coming. 
He doesn't always, though, and other promises as well, but he doesn't always fulfill them immediately, as we know. And so his children need to wait. And of course, the big promise that he's coming, and the big promise of a new world and a new existence. Glorious promises, but the fulfillment is not immediate. Waiting, therefore, is a big part of life with Christ on this earth. Each of us is going to get a lot of experience. If we don't have it already, we're going to get a lot of experience waiting. But it's not easy to wait. Sometimes waiting seems futile, like it's, there's nothing happening. For instance, if you, have you ever gone to lunch? You have a lunch appointment at a certain restaurant? I do this all the time, so I know well. You show up, and then the other person not there, looking at the clock, it's 5 after, it's 10 after, it's 15 after. It's like, well, maybe they forgot about me. And I've done it to other people too, so it's, it's, uh, it's not like I'm the one that always gets stood up. But I think we can all identify with that. You know, they've forgotten. They are not coming. Or imagine going on a blind date, which I've never done, but some do. Not because I don't believe in them, but because I never had to. I was in a relationship from when I was 16 years old, and still am. But anyway, imagine going on a blind date, and it seems like you had a good time. And so you set up another appointment, another time to meet somewhere, and you show up, and then the other person doesn't show up. You know, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, a half an hour. And then you start to think, you start to think, well, maybe they really didn't have a good time. Maybe they really didn't want to go have another, have more times together. They just were embarrassed to say that to my face. So it was just a show that they seemed to have a good time. And uh, so, you know, this is a little bit similar to how we relate to God. He promises he will be there for us. But when we ask him for something, he doesn't give it. We ask him to remove some obstacle in our lives and he doesn't remove it. We ask him to meet some need and he doesn't meet it. And so we start thinking that God just isn't paying attention. That he really doesn't care. But of course, in case of God, that's a lie. He does care. And we know he does. Some of you have had the experience of taking a child to the store and have them see something in the store that they really want and begin to beg you to purchase it for them. Maybe some treat or some toy. Now, we might know it's not good for them. We might know that if we give in today that every single time we go to the store they're going to be begging because they know if they just work hard enough and bang on that door hard enough that mom or dad or older brother or sister are going to cave in and let us get it. So we say no. Hopefully for their sakes. But obviously this is very displeasing to the child to put it mildly. And that's the way it is for God. God doesn't always give us everything we want or think we need. But it's always because he loves us and wants the best for us. But sometimes, in spite of this, we get angry at God. We actually punish him 
for not giving us what we want by asserting that he doesn't care. And of course, this is the opposite of what the passage talks about in terms of waiting for the Lord. This attitude maintains that God is not going to come through for me in my life. That he's abandoned us. That there's no sense waiting any longer. That we're on our own. Now that's what the people of Judah were doing. That's what Isaiah is talking about in verse 27. When he says, Why do you say, O Israel, that your way is hidden from the Lord? And your right is disregarded by him. Why are you talking this way? Why do you say that God's not paying attention? Do you know who he is? And so, then Isaiah reminds them in the next verse, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you realize who you're questioning? Are you aware of who you are mistrusting? If you know who he is, you know that he can't have things hidden from him. God knows what he's doing. He hasn't gotten worn out. He hasn't slacked off. He has unsearchable reasons for doing the things that he does. Even his delaying. God doesn't forget about you. He doesn't get tired of you. He knows you through and through. He knows what you're going through. He knows your hurts. He knows what you need. He knows exactly when to intervene in your circumstances and how. And then Isaiah assures God's people that God will help them as they wait. He gives power to the faint, verse 29. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's important to look at this in the context of the promised coming of the Lord that we read about earlier in the chapter, in verses 1 to 11. God knew that in spite of his promises it was going to be hard for his people to keep waiting and he knew it was going to get harder in the future than it had been in the past he knew they were in for the long haul it was going to be 700 years from the time that Isaiah made this promise till the time it was fulfilled so he wanted them to know That in the midst of their waiting, he would be there to help them, strengthen them in their waiting. Now, that's a little bit of how this passage, how we can look at this passage from the perspective of the time that Isaiah wrote it. Now let's look at this passage from the perspective of the time it was fulfilled 700 years later in the days of Christ when he was when he came and was born. Of course, over those 700 years, more and more people gave up hope. That's what you'd expect. Some sought 
to make their lives the way that they thought life should be. Some were just content to have their jobs and their families and and uh, go on with life. But the really amazing thing is that some people miraculously kept waiting in expectation that God would fulfill his promise. And so it was that when the Lord Jesus was finally born, some were still trusting in the Lord's promises from Isaiah 40 and elsewhere. In fact, these folks are referred to in Luke chapter 2, 38, when it says about Anna that coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak about Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And it says about Simeon, a few verses before that, Simeon was one of those who were, who were waiting. It says, there was a man whose name was Simeon, and this man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that expression, the consolation of Israel, is, is referring back, right back to Isaiah 40, verse 1. They were waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. These, Not only these two, Anna and Simeon, but, but others, because she went to tell others who were waiting. They were not given their names. Generally, they, as far as we know, they were obscure, insignificant people in the eyes of the world. Besides Anna and Simeon, we know only of Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary. There are many others, of course, whose names we don't know. All of those centuries, they were those who clung to God's promises and who made God's promises the center of their hope, even though they lived their entire lives and went to their death clinging to that promise. Now these people who, you, uh, I would guess many of us have never even thought of these people before. All of these people between the time of the promises God made to the time of the fulfillment of those promises who did indeed wait and hope and, and build their lives on that hope. Many of them, they, they seem distant from us. They seem different from us. But that is far from the truth. Hebrews 11.38 says that the world was not worthy of them. And so it is. And hopefully, we are their modern equivalents. Though we know only a few of their names, we ought to love these people dearly and look forward to to their fellowship when we get to heaven. Their faith, their waiting, was the most spectacular thing going on at the time, if you have eyes to see. Though it certainly didn't appear that way in the world's eyes when the ancient world's person of the year awards were given each year. These people were not on the list of those being considered. But while the most of the world was stuck in the mud, a few were soaring in faith in these promises that God had given. They were the heroes and should be our heroes They're waiting on the Lord and the Lord's renewing of their strength in their waiting. 
are part of what makes the Christmas story so beautiful and so powerful. They're the ones that Isaiah 40, 27 to 31 is talking about. They received the promise of the coming Lord and they waited. And when they grew weary, God gave them power and increased their strength. By his power they mounted up on wings of eagles. They ran and were not weary. They walked and didn't faint. How else could they have persevered like they did for such a long time without the fulfillment of the promise? You see, God doesn't just give his people the assignment to remain faithful. He strengthens them to do it. He carries them along to do it. You know, uh, in, uh, in football, when, when a, you know, a very common pattern in a football game is the quarterback gets the ball from the center and he hands it off to a running back and that running back uh, tries to run as far forward as he can, as fast as he can, he tries to avoid the other people that are going to try to tackle him, and he's running down the field. But there are often many obstacles, obviously. There's 11 monsters on the other side doing their best to try to get hold of him and crush him and put him on the ground. But it's really interesting to me, one of the things that people don't talk about very much, but I see it all the time when I watch football games, is there's some linemen who's an enormous man, you know, 300 pounds, six foot four or five. And when the running back, who's usually a smaller guy, runs into an obstacle, he will grab hold of his teammate with, who has the ball and he'll actually either push or even carry him or pull him forward, helping him to go places that he couldn't go on his own. It's really a fun thing, you know, in the statistics... There's no statistic for how far you carried, how many yards a game you carried your teammate who had the ball. The only statistics are how far he carried the ball. And it counts if someone's carrying you, even if it's not because of your strength that you're doing it. The running back gets all the glory. But the, the lineman often is the guy who's providing the muscle and the mass behind the progress. And so it is with the Lord. We are waiting, we are striving, we are seeking, but it is the Lord who's behind us, helping us, lifting us up, pushing us forward. Maybe we're not even aware of it. You know, maybe sometimes where I know for me, I'm often so impressed by my progress when I make progress. I'm completely oblivious to the fact that I couldn't have gone one foot if God hadn't been pushing me and carrying me and moving me on. Now, we've talked about Isaiah 40 and the time that it was first written. We've talked now about Isaiah 40 and the time of Christ and the, these amazing heroes who, who uh, continued to believe in the prophet promises all the way until the coming of Christ. Now let's talk about this passage in light of our day, in light of today and our lives. Our lives are very similar in many ways to our Old Testament counterparts. For eventually the promise was fulfilled. Jesus was born. He lived an amazing life on this earth 
for 33 years or so. Then he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And he's not here anymore in the way that he was here in those 33 years. But he didn't actually do everything that the prophets said he would do. This led to confusion among many people who are trying to you know, evaluate him because he was not acting in the way that some of the prophecies said he would act. The coming of the Lord was prophesied in many ways in the Old Testament, but the fact is that his coming was going to be in two parts, and that was hidden from us. That was not revealed in the Old Testament. It all, it spoke, the Old Testament speaks as, as if the, this is the Lord's coming, but turns out there are two parts of his coming. And we found that out when Jesus arrived and he began talking about how he would return and come back again. And when he comes back again, he'll fulfill the rest of what the Old Testament prophets t- told about who he would be and what he would do. Now, of course, it is true, Christ has come. And we can sing, like we sang this morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And most Advent sermons focus on the significance of that coming, and rightfully so. But it's also true that we are waiting for Christ to come again and finish what he began when he came the first time. The fact is, we're back in waiting posture. Like those who waited for his first coming. We are living parallel lives to them in so many ways. And God knows that this waiting is hard for us like it was for them. He knows at times it's going to be tempting for us to think that he's abandoned us. He knows that sometimes we're going to feel weary. And that's why the New Testament is so filled with encouragements and declarations of resources that are available to us. So we're even better equipped than those Old Testament saints were. We've been given more help, more knowledge, more perspective, more assurance, more guarantee than they ever were. For one thing, we have seen his first coming. The ancient promise is already largely fulfilled. We have Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us and even in us through the Holy Spirit. To the end of the age, we're promised. We have the example of those who live faithfully waiting for him to come the first time. And then saw their great reward. And we know that, that that's going to happen to us. They waited And God fulfilled the promise. And it was a wonderful thing. We have the glorious announcement of Christ's birth by the angels. To the shepherds. And, you know, there's similar things said about his return. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, The Lord himself will descend with a cry of command. So just as the angels came to announce his original birth, so the Lord himself will descend with the voice of an archangel. So the voice of an angel again. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. You see, those angels weren't just 
speaking and singing to the prophet, to the shepherds. They were speaking and singing to us as well. This is a foreshadowing of his return. We have seen the shepherds abandon their sheep without a thought in order to rush to see the baby that the angels told them about. And then they went about glorifying and praising God to everyone that they could find for all that they had seen and heard. They were like the man who found a great treasure in a field and went and sold everything that he had in order to buy the field in Matthew 13, 44. Just like that man, when the shepherds were told of the treasure in the field, they didn't have to deliberate. They didn't have to weigh the pros and cons of making a move from where they were to where they could be. They joyfully gave up everything in order to find the treasure that was in the manger. We have the joy of those waiting whose waiting and whose expecting was fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Remember Simeon who saw the little baby Jesus in the temple and immediately said to God, Now I'm ready to die for my eyes have seen your salvation. We've seen in these things just how big a thing it was when the Lord showed up and how and it shows us how big a thing it will be when he shows up again these things are fuel for us as we run the race for there's a day coming for all who wait on the Lord a day which will make the little concerns of our lives look puny and all the pleasures of earth seem like nothing Right now, we're back in the mode, the same mode as those who are waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anticipating something which is going to happen, which is going to change everything. When, we will, when he will appear in glory, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2. In the Old Testament, God promised he would come. It took a long time, but he came. And then he promised he would come again. It's taking a long time again. How blessed are those who are waiting. How blessed are those who cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. How blessed are those who remember that in the meantime, God is the strengthener of the weak and the weary. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 29. If you feel weak and weary, there's great news for you. God is in the strengthening business. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Now, there are some who rarely feel weary. But even the most enduring sometimes get weary and exhausted. As it says in verse 30, Even youths shall faint and be weary, 
and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. People often don't think to encourage these people because they hardly ever seem to need it. But Jesus is their encourager. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Really, there are two types of waiting, you see. There's waiting because there's no other option, and then there's Christian waiting. Waiting for the Lord, with the Lord. Remember Christ's parable of the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come in Matthew 25. All ten were waiting, but there were two different kinds of waiting going on. The wise virgins, the five wise virgins, were waiting with the oil of the Holy Spirit in their lamps, with the oil of God's presence. The foolish virgins were just waiting. They were waiting without God. I saw a story which illustrates this about a Florida man named James Bain who was imprisoned for 35 years before he was exonerated by a DNA test which proved that he couldn't have committed the crime. And when reporters put a mic to his face, he said, I'm not angry. I got God in my head. I knew one day he'd reveal me. Now think about the people who are put in prison unjustly or even justly, who are forced away but face their situation with anger and bitterness. They're mad that God would ever let them be there. But it seems that James Bain was waiting with oil in his lamp. God's complaint in verse, I'm sorry, God's complaint against his people is in verse 27. Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? My situation is disregarded by my God. But notice what God doesn't complain about. His complaint doesn't say, why do you say my way? His complaint does not say, why do you say my way seems hidden from you, O Lord? I've just changed a few words. The content is almost the same. And yet, it is, that changes it completely. In fact, there's many prayers like that. Inspired by God, included in the, in the scriptures. In Psalm 44, the psalmist cries out to God, You have rejected us and disgraced us. You have broken us and covered us with a shadow of death. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. That kind of complaint God doesn't condemn. In fact, he encourages it. So what's the big difference between my way is hidden from the Lord and my way seems to be hidden from you, O Lord? Well, my way is hidden from the Lord is a defiant declaration. 
my way seems hidden from you, Lord, is a desperate prayer. And as a prayer, it's not just said in exasperation, it's said in faith. It is said to the one who gives strength to the weary. My way is hidden from the Lord is something a person says to himself. It's something a person says who thinks he's ultimately alone. But my way seems hidden from you, Lord, is something said by a person who, even though he's feeling alone, ultimately knows he's not alone, knows that God is there with him. Another thing about Christian waiting can be seen in the very last part of the last verse in Isaiah 40, verse 31, second half, which says, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My old pastor, Dr. Richard Halverson, took this as the three stages of the Christian life. The youth soaring on wings of eagles, the adult running and not growing weary, and finally the old person walking without fainting. But whether or not that's true, this part of the verse makes it clear that God doesn't want us merely surviving. He wants us moving forward. He wants us soaring. He wants us making progress. He wants us pressing on. He doesn't want us to just be stuck where we are. He wants us to he wants to empower us to step out in faith. Not just to keep safe. As Paul says in Philippians 3, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, lay us, let us lay aside each weight and sin which clings so closely, Hebrews 12 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so just as Jesus had this great prize of winning our salvation that drove him, we have a prize as well. We wait and strive for the day to see his face. We wait to be held in his arms. We wait for him to wipe our tears. We wait for deliverance from our sin. We wait for relief from our pain. We wait for comfort in place of mourning. Just as Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We wait for laughter to replace our crying and for mourning to be turned into dancing. We wait for reconciliation with loved ones who have departed or loved ones we depart from when it's our time. We wait for the meaning of all the things which seem to us in life to be meaningless. You know that old analogy of the needlepoint that makes so much sense on one side, but the back is so chaotic and and ugly. Well, that's you know we long to see the other side 
of the needlepoint and see the beauty of it all because all we've seen is the backside. We wait for the great reward promised to those who are hated and excluded and reviled and spurned on account of Christ. Beloved, never will there be such a fulfillment of the expression it was worth the wait than on that day. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you always keep your promises. That all the promises of God are yes and amen in you. We thank you that you have promised to us that you will return. And no matter what everybody thinks, no matter how everybody laughs or ridicules, we know, O oh Lord, that you one day will return and every eye will see you. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to live our lives trying to figure out how to find happiness. We thank you that our happiness is in you and in your promise that there'll come a time when there will be no more struggle and no more sin and no more disappointment and no more loss. Help us, O Lord, to wait patiently for that day. And we thank you, dear Lord, that now we can come to the table that you have told us to set as we celebrate your death. And we remember that we are told that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. We thank you, Lord, that in this time when we're waiting for you to come, you've given us this little refreshment stand on the side of the road that we might remind ourselves of what we're doing and who you are and who we are and why we're running this race and why we're pressing on. We thank you, dear Lord, for your blessing and your encouragement and for the fact that you are with us even as we go through the tedious, stressful, long-term striving that you have placed before us. And dear Lord, one day we thank you that you will come and we will see you and everything we've ever waited for and longed for will be found in you. Be with us, O Lord, as we partake today and encourage us and strengthen us, O Lord, as we wait for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.